Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Stepper. And who do we have with us on the program today? I'm Robin Hathaway. Well, sir, thank you so much uh, for uh, taking your time. Um, busy Sunday. We're on Monday. Hopefully, uh, you got a little bit of rest uh, going on uh, coming out of the Sunday because you are a pastor and everything. But we just wanted, I want to make sure that uh, before we get into this, um, last, or I guess it was, Last week or two weeks ago, whenever we uh, uploaded this, uh, we did have Tom Askell on, and he is also a nomination for the SBC president. And today, um, we are bringing on Dr. Hathaway because he has also been he has also been nominated as a SBC president candidate. And so here, now we had two people on the show on Tagurit that you get to hear their heart, to hear their mission, um, and you know we're going to ask questions to where hopefully you get informed um, before, especially hopefully you are going to Anaheim here in like three weeks so i'll be there so um that's the cool thing is uh if you uh, are going to anaheim um and you are not in the springfield missouri area anyway uh hit me up i'll be there and um we can talk and chat and all that kind of stuff but i'm excited to go and uh, dr hadaway i'm excited to see you and tom and bart barber and i'm guessing there's some more people anyway that we'll be able to see but uh be able to hear your heart and your mission and then be able to vote um, our people in so that we can definitely uh, continue the mission of the SBC, which is your sort of tagline anyway, is uh, is all about the mission. So uh, what I would like to hear um, and for our listeners to hear, um, just introduce yourself, tell us, uh, you know, what you do in the SBC, um, how you got connected with the SBC, and what do you do in your local church? Yeah, so I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, although I'm living in Oceanside, California now. Beautiful. So our family was attending the Christian Science Church in Tallahassee when I was 12 years old. The pastor of First Baptist Church, Tallahassee, C.A. Roberts, led my parents to the Lord. So one Sunday we were in Christian Science Church, which is a cult. The next Sunday we were at First Baptist Church. And I went to Sunday evening service, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, training union, youth choir, all through high school. But I did not become a Christian. After graduating from high school in Tallahassee, I went to the University of Memphis, and there a fellow student uh, witnessed to me, and um, after a few weeks, I accepted the Lord and have been following him since that time. Uh, after college, I already had a commitment to go into the Air Force as an uh, officer. I served in Texas, uh, Florida. Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and King Salmon, Alaska. It was while I was in Alaska at King Salmon Baptist Mission, which was a, a, the a home mission board, now NAM, but was a home mission board mission, uh, I was called to preach. And so after four years, I resigned my commission. I went to Dallas Seminary for two years because our SB seminaries, all six of them, none were conservative back in mm. the 70s. I did transfer to Southwestern to uh, go back into the SBC, and I sought a position in the Pioneer West because there really were enough pastors uh, 
there in the South and the Southwest and the Midwest. And so since my wife was from Phoenix, I met her there while I was at, in, uh, at Dallas Seminary. Uh, and my parents had moved to Los Angeles. We found a church in LA County, which is First Southern Baptist Church, Monterey Park. And I pastored there for four years and then two years in the Phoenix area uh, at First Southern Glendale, Arizona. Then God called us to the mission field. We spent 18 years as IMB missionaries uh, and served in Tanzania, Kenya, North Africa, and Brazil. Uh, we, we had a, our, our third child's mentally handicapped, which brought us back to the field. The president of Midwestern uh, offered me a position as the residential missions professor, uh, as Ron Rogers was, um, was there at the time, but he went back to the mission field. So there was an opening. So in 2003, I became the missions professor. And I uh, trained about 2,000 students, almost 2,000 students in missions. Uh, and um, um, although David wasn't one of them, because David said he didn't take my missions class. So Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I was there 18 years at Midwestern. I was the dean of students. I served as interim president. I also served as interim CFO. Uh, a year ago, I uh, retired from residential teaching and moved back to California, uh, To, but I still teach as a senior professor of mission. So that's kind of me as in a nutshell. Awesome. And I mean, Oceanside is a beautiful place and I haven't been there in like eight years, but man, like a North Coast village up there, hanging out there and getting on the uh, coaster and getting into San Diego, man, you get to uh, live my dream. So that's awesome. I hope you enjoy it out there. And uh, it's really awesome to hear that you uh, came out of, uh, you know, Christian science and, and uh, there's a church really close by um, to my neighborhood anyway. And another church is um, kind of coming in and, uh, there's a building that they're kind of putting their offices in. I'm like, man, you need to have enough dominion over in that area to kind of, you know, preach the gospel, take that little area over for Jesus and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, what is, what is Christian science? And that's leading me. Maybe sometime we need to call on you. Um, since this, uh, we do talk a lot of, I mean, this is an apologetical podcast, so it might be sometime in the future that we might call on you to talk about uh, your experience with, uh, and what you and your knowledge and, and what we can do as, uh, you know, doing missions in our, in our home area anyway, um, with people that are in uh, Christian science. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And um, we hope that uh, there's there's more things that we can uh, end up uh, talking with you about. Dr. Hathaway. I'll be happy to do that. Yeah. So Dr. Hathaway, two major things that I want to address with you. Number one, thank you so much for your great introduction there. Many individuals have already taken the time to interview you, ask you a lot of questions, but I believe we are the first ones to be able to have the opportunity to engage a pressing, timely question in regard to the 300-page guide post document that was released on Sunday. I am not able to read 300 pages in an evening. I have read some summaries and some statements. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that right out of the gate. Um, I believe that it is important that you give us some words on how you think Southern Baptists are going to receive this, respond to this, and maybe even if you were to be elected president, what you would do to help in this situation. Well, to make you feel a little bit better, it's only 288 pages, so it's not <laughs> quite 300. 
Um, but it's still a lot to look over. I did read all the articles. I haven't read the actual 288 pages yet myself. Um, I think the Baptist Press article this morning did a pretty good job of explaining all the issues and the fact that the uh, recommendations from uh, the Godpost Solutions uh, go to the, um, the committee, uh, Sexual Abuse Task Force, that uh, Ed Litton um, appointed. And so um, they have yet to um, uh, elucidate exactly what their recommendations will be. So they're taking the recommendations from Guidepost, which were, I think, 17 recommendations. They're reducing those down to uh, something that can be presented at the convention. They said those recommendations will be available by the end of the month, which uh, would be, I guess, the day after Memorial Day. And so we'll kind of be able to see what it will be we're voting on. So we won't be voting on uh, everything Guidepost um, presented, although uh, let me just say that my heart goes out to the victims and uh, it, it was a sad report, hmm. uh, but this committee, um, which uh, I respect uh, is going to be giving us some recommendations. And I think one of them was that the new president would appoint an implementation committee, task force committee, uh, which would report over the next three conventions. And, and so I think uh, what, at least what was in the Baptist Press article, which was not in all the other articles yesterday, uh, gives us kind of a good way forward that we might implement um, some of the recommendations uh, in, a, in a balanced and uh, fair way uh, that's very judicious. So I think that's, that's about all. I'm, I'm waiting to see what we'll be voting on when we get to Anaheim. And well, that, I was just 69 miles from my house, so it's not going to be very hard for me to get there. I'm glad. I, I wish that I was a little bit closer so that I could um, make my way over there. I, I got to go last year, but I'm not going to be able to break away to attend this year. Adam will be going to, to represent Taguret. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With that said, Dr. Hathaway, thank you so much for your clarity on that answer. I think that that is very balanced, and I appreciate the reality that you've already made clear were you to be brought in were you to be nominated and elected of course elected as president you are going to be entering into a fairly tumultuous state of the sbc new ground i think is a very clear way to put that what would you be doing right away because this is not just a you know, I mean, obviously, we're always going to have challenges as a group of believers, as a denomination, but I think these are new challenges that we're facing. So as you prepare to come in, what are some of the things that you kind of see as high priorities, given the state of where we are, as you would be elected, were you to be elected president? Well, um, I decided to uh, allow my name to be put into nomination. Um, for the Anaheim Convention uh, because Ed Litt decided not to run for a second term. It was the furthest thing from my mind, really. I never, I never ever thought about becoming SPC president, that's for sure. But since it's here local, and uh, here locally, we are on the mission field. 
and uh, we are engaged in hand-to-hand spiritual combat with the culture. Mm-hmm. I would like to remind Southern Baptists to remember the mission, and that is, uh, just despite all the, the problems that we have uh, in the world today, I like to point out that, that when the Judsons first uh, went to India and then Burma in 1812, that year the British burned Washington, D.C., so um, I, I don't think our problems are quite that severe today, even though when you're in the middle of a problem, it seems like, wow, this is, this is really, really bad. But I remember there was a Dallas uh, SBC when I think, what, there were 20, 25,000 messengers and the, the fate of the SBC hung in the balance as far as the direction uh, of the conservative resurgence. So uh, we may have 12,000, but we're not gonna have 25,000. Uh, at the SBC. So I think uh, with, with my maturity and my wisdom, I hope I'll be able to help Southern Baptists uh, navigate these uh, treacherous waters, which they are, but uh, we've seen worse. We survived the Civil War. We survived the Great Depression and the fundamentalist modernist controversy in the 1920s. Uh, we survived social uh, Uh, change in the 1960s and the Cold War. Mm. Uh, I remember when they used to um, build um, bomb shelters uh, for nuclear war, even though we learned they probably wouldn't have worked. (laughs) So we we have a lot of problems, but there's no, no problems that we can't overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of outside stuff that the SBC definitely has uh, lived through and uh, still exists. And yeah, there's, but there's also a lot of stuff that's happened on the inside. As you mentioned, you know, the conservative resurgence is still something we do talk about and it's definitely being brought up again today. There's a lot of uh, just things going on um, with that. And so um, to talk about maybe some internal things, um, what do you think are, is the, uh, you know, the most pressing issues um, as president that you would like to deal with if you were elected, um, what would be those go-to pressing things that you would jump on to uh, use whatever um, powers you do have um, and influence you have to steer the ship the way that you would like to see it steered? Yeah. Well, the pressing issue that I see is that we are uh, distracted by a lot of uh, issues uh, not, not that they're not important, but uh, the SBC only exists two days a year, and that's to um, decide issues, but mainly to fund NAM and the IMB. I want to see people, uh, Southern Baptists, remember the mission. Hmm. And that's what I would keep in the forefront. I'd like to see 500 net uh, North American churches Uh, 2,000 net uh, overseas churches. And I would like to see our WMU uh, add 1,000 chapters because people today are just growing up um, with not much of a missions education. Some churches do offer that. Uh, But but particularly during COVID, uh, we suspended a lot of our Bible studies and home groups and children's activities and children's choir and missions organizations uh, throughout the SPC, uh, I I would want to rally us around missions. And uh, I know people used to say that back during the conservative resurgence, but uh, 
I like to point out that I was, uh, my wife and I were in the pew on the Sunday morning after Adrian Rogers was elected in 1979. And a deranged man came off the side of the right side of the uh, pulpit and tried to attack him on live television. Two choir members jumped out of the choir loft and wrestled him to the ground. And uh, Dr. Rogers continued his message. I always say that was the devil trying to derail the conservative resurgence by attacking its leader. When I was in seminary um, at one of our Southern Baptist seminaries, uh, I had neo-orthodoxy taught to me as truth. And then, uh, David, if you had taken my missions class, I always, uh, either at the beginning, the middle, or the end, I talk about how bad things were in the SBC and how our seminaries today uh, are conservative. Now, a pastor friend of mine out here in California used to say, there's always foxes in the vineyard that you know, come at you in ministry. So I'm not saying things are perfect in the SBC. There are difficulties. Uh, there, one or two people uh, will emerge uh, in, in, in any entity or uh, institution and try to derail us. Uh, but when I was interim president, I looked at every single um, application for a faculty member. And I didn't approve all of them they, because some may, be, may have been weak around the edges here and there. As far as accountability, I signed every check at Midwestern and looked at every receipt myself for a year and a half. Uh, when I was on the field, uh, uh, on the mission field, I supervised 300 missionaries. I was the one that called them in uh, when the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message was passed. And every missionary had to sign the Baptist Faith and, Faith and Message 2000. And I met with the 35 or 40 of the missionaries that either couldn't or wouldn't sign it and try to convince them it was a good idea unless they just didn't agree with it. So I believe we have accountability, um, but the SBC president by making good appointments uh, to the committee on committees who in turn uh, makes appointments committee on nominations and then fills our boards and agencies. And of course, I, I would say that's another important thing we'll be doing in Anaheim is filling the boards and agencies uh, with men, women, ministers, lay people uh, who serve without pay on their, as trustees uh, in, in our convention entities. Uh, they just serve at the pleasure and for the love of being Southern Baptist. So uh, Dr. I'll, Hathaway, stop, I'll stop I, there and I'll, I'll take any follow-up questions you have. I, I do have a few. Um, sure. I know I won't probably be able to get to all of them. I love your reference to the Women's Missionary Union. Uh, as a kid who, when I was a toddler and pre-preschooler going with my mom to WMU meetings, I remember those ladies praying in the first and second church that I pastored. There was active WMU, which kind of began to fall away. And so I'm going to just ask a question. As president, I do actually believe in the importance of the Women's Missionary Union, by the way. My grandma 
was in the WMU. And then once my grandfather passed away, here she was a lady who could go and get work with the IMB after teaching kids about missions and GAs. Uh, and being an active WMU woman, she then in her retirement years goes to serve with the IMB. I just think that that's, you know, I, I love the GAs and RAs. I love WMU. I think that those are incredible things. How would you go about re-engaging this and re-challenging? Because I, I think that the WMU is important. How would you get that back on the ground? Uh, tell me a little bit about that process. Well, maybe that's why you turned out so well. You were in, <laughs> in, in the missions organization. as you Thank know. you. I'm gl glad that you said that. <laughs> so um, the reason I decided to put that in there, which which um, even my wife says, what, you're going to talk about the WMU? Nobody talks about the WMU these days. Well, when we were on the field as missionaries, it was the WMU that prayed for us. Um, you know, they, they would like one missionary couple, they collected Kool-Aid. So this, this missionary couple was sent thousands of packets of Kool-Aid to tend to uh, Kenya. Um, and it was the WMU that uh, got the SBC, got the, um, uh, at that time, foreign mission board, now it's IMB, through the Great Depression, because the women kept giving when the denomination couldn't or wouldn't. And so that's one reason that I would like to emphasize. I think since the I am since the uh, president of the SBC, I like to say has no pay, no power really, but he can emphasize uh, emphasize things. And so when I the two pa two churches that I pastored as senior pastor, um, we had strong WMU, and they always would uh, they just lo would lobby the pastor. For don't forget <laughs> our missionaries. Don't forget our missionaries. And I think that's good for a pastor to have that in their church because mm -hmm. they don't really have an agenda. They just want to make sure that we give to Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, and that we uh, don't forget the cooperative program and, and our part in helping to serve missions. And so it would be more of an emphasis. You asked a question earlier what would I see as important? Well, that would be one of those things that I would see as important. You see, the WMU executive secretary, um, whose name is uh, Miss Wisdom Martin, uh, she sits on the council, Great Commission Council, with all the entity heads. I sat on that for eight months, so I kind of know what it is, all the entity heads and the WMU executive secretary. Uh, and then also the, um, uh, she sits on the EC and um, she's at all of these meetings, but I would want to make sure that her profile is raised and that we realize because the WMU, they own uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and they own the um, uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That, that is, uh, it's theirs, and that, but they voluntarily give that away to NAM and the IMB. I have some questions further, not sure. about the WMU. These are going to be just a little bit more controversial. Okay. And it's not that I want to push against you. I actually have great respect for you. And I will say you, you might recognize this name, um, 
a mutual friend that we have. Eric Hall is a friend of mine who's a pastor here in Missouri. And he said, oh, I'm so excited that you're going to have Dr. Hathaway on the program. So if you remember him, he spoke highly of you. I do remember him. So here's a little bit more of that controversial question. Okay. The Enneagram is a problem, I believe, in the Southern Baptist Convention, not just in the convention, but as a whole, a part of the probably big tent evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the Enneagram? The North American Mission Board was given a charge last year in the form of a motion to look into the Enneagram. I don't know what the report is going to be on that, but I have done some of my own work on it. What are your thoughts on the Enneagram and how we should deal with that as Southern Baptist? Well, of course, it it is a, I am aware of it and and I have looked at it. I haven't studied it in depth because it's not within my field of missions. But uh, it, it is like a, a testing instrument that people use. It's sort of like the Myers-Briggs, um, but different than the Myers-Briggs. Uh, I haven't had as many people speak against the, the Myers-Briggs, although some people say, you know, you should not type people according to their personalities, all right? Um, so, so I know other entities use um, the Myers-Briggs. There are other testing that is used, psychological testing that is secular, uh, that is used by um, what we would call um, um, secular counseling, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we at Midwestern have biblical counseling. I think there are some, there's, there's this tension between how much you should use from the social sciences and how much you just should not use anything from the social sciences. Uh, We see the same thing in missions. Um, There are textbooks. uh, Paul Hebert and others have written about how you can um, look at people groups based upon uh, how they fit culturally okay so um what happens with these motions they get referred to the to the trustees of that entity okay Okay. and then the trustees look at the and i don't know uh perhaps the nam will report out an answer i don't know if you heard of as an answers coming on that one i i have not heard i was just interested in it from last year i knew um I knew a few people who were very well. I've read um, Dr. Cherry, uh, one of the uh, biblical counseling professors there at Midwestern, has recently published a book on that. A friend of mine and Adams by the name of Don Vino has published some material on that. And it's always been concerning to me. Um, I was just curious on kind of what your thoughts were on it. You know, is this something that you feel is a problem? Are you kind of waiting to see what the North American Mission Board, you know, where do you land on that? Because I do have convictions. I think that it's it's problematic. And 
I just kind of wanted to know where you were on it. And, and that was kind of my thought there. And I hadn't seen anyone else really ask you about it in any of the other interviews. And it wasn't that I was trying to stump you. I just, yeah. there was some that I hadn't got a, hadn't got a clear statement from you from watching other people on it. So just kind of wanted to know where you landed on it. Right. So um, it's interesting when a motion gets referred, whether it's to the IMB or NAM or one of the six seminaries, they have a whole year to report it back, okay? And so it'll be at this convention, they'll either say, we've looked at it, we, we're not gonna use it anymore. And there again, I don't know how NAM was using it. Um, I would say that uh, it, it is a secular, the Enneagram is a secular uh, sociological, psychological tool uh, that I would not have confidence in, all right? Now, I want to be fair and, and say that um, I don't know how you feel about the Myers-Briggs. Uh, there, there is a Christian version of the Myers-Briggs that's been published by someone who's taken, somehow it must be out of copyright or something, because they took the Myers-Briggs and they put, they Christianized it, Okay. That's a problem for some people too, is to take a secular, in, um, a secular instrument like that and to Christianize it. So uh, I just say that you got to be careful with any secular instrument. If you had taken my missions class, I do, I do look at some secular social um, ways of viewing, say, worldviews, and sometimes students take exception with that. That, that we shouldn't use, uh, let, let's say, um, anthropology. I teach Christian anthropology, okay? I believe in a six-day creation, so I certainly don't follow the anthropology of, say, Kansas State or University of Missouri or KU, uh, but I, I think we can use um, some things in secular uh, life um, in, in order to um, to better analyze kind of where we are as Christians. So I have to jump in there. I wish that I would have taken your missions class. You are welcome to keep giving me a good elbow on that. <laughs> I will say though, since I get, I'm so blessed to get to teach communication. So one of the things that I'm often trying to do is to analyze different theories that don't come from a Christian worldview and trying to say, how do we... Is there something in this theory that is redeemable and useful for us? Because I feel like my charge, given the opportunity to teach public speaking, communication theory, advanced public speaking, and logic there at the undergraduate level, one of my deep challenges is I want to prepare men and women for missions, for being good Christian thinking churchmen and women, and also pastors. But see, that brings me into what I think is a, is a massive tension today, and that has to do with critical race theory. Um, what are your thoughts regarding Southern Baptist and how we should use uh, or how we should respond to the influx of critical race theory and have we been negotiating this well? Is this something that, because it does impact the way we do missions, how do we deal with this, if that makes any sense? Yeah. Well, uh, unlike the Enneagram question, uh, you did give me uh, a chance to prepare for the critical race theory. So- um, Sorry about that. 
That's okay. That's okay. Uh, so uh, I, I would just say critical race theory, as I said in the live candidates forum, at least to me, sees life through the lens of race. Hmm. Of course, intersectionality adds some other lenses by which someone views society. Um, as, as I mentioned in that forum, uh, we were struggling with another theory 97 years ago, and that was the theory of evolution. Mm. I think you're always going to have secular theories that are that we don't really agree with. Uh, I, I was reading this past week in The Economist, um, which I read even though I don't agree with their viewpoint on a lot of things, that some are even challenging Einstein's theory of relativity, or uh, how time passes, although we all know time does pass because we look different in our pictures than we did five years ago, but people still debate. Always uh, better still. looking, always better looking. <laughs> my wife, my wife, always better looking as the time goes by, right? Yeah. So <laughs> She's I was listening. Really, I was really surprised that they were debating the theory of relativity. I thought that was pretty much set, but uh, these non-Christian theories do challenge Christianity, but they, but they do change. Uh, I still, as I said, believe in a six-day creation. And what happens is, is that, you know, if you go to a museum, um, like a natural history museum, everyone in America, almost, except for the, the museum that's associated with the Ark there in Northern Kentucky, but every secular museum is gonna accept the theory of evolution as fact. So with critical race theory, you know, it's just hit us the last few years. And obviously um, it's being criticized by everyone. I think the issue is how much to criticize it. Um, I believe that the Bible divides humankind into only two kinds of people, and that's Jews and Gentiles. All the rest of us have been, we, we have been um, grafted in to, to new Israel. And um, what the Bible speaks about is not race, because really there's only one race that's a human race, and that's not original with me. But the, hum the human race is, at least Gentiles, is divided into ethnicities, which we now call people groups. And that can be a division in language, culture. Um, and, but here in America, this is more of an American thing. Um, I... Uh, I raised my family in black churches in Africa. We always had an African pastor. Uh, we lived 12 years in Africa and I was always treated with the greatest respect. I, I don't see this as an issue in Africa, although it is an issue here in America. Now, I believe there's still racism in America. I remember when I was growing up, we had separate water fountains, separate restrooms, uh, hotels that African-Americans couldn't go into. And I mentioned this in the live forum that uh, when I was 15 and on the basketball team, they wouldn't let our star basketball player uh, stay in the hotel we were in. He had to sleep in the janitor's house. And I came back, told my parents, that's not right. Uh, but I believe that we have come a long way in our relations. We want to affirm our African-American brothers and sisters. And, you know, that's not a big issue here in California. Uh, we've got lots of African-American churches, uh, churches of every ethnicity, and we're just trying to uh, fight against the culture out here. Uh, 
I do know that it's it's been a big um, big issue, at least in the social media. Uh, but I've tried to make a difference in my years uh, uh, serving Southern Baptist. Eighteen years I was on the mission field. Eighteen years I taught at Midwestern. So I I can say I was paid by the cooperative program for thirty six years. Amen. So, Amen. Um, so when it would come to critical race theory, just, you know, just to kind of boil it down, do you view it as uh, analytical tools as um, what uh, I guess they came back and said um, at the convention a couple of years ago, um, would you view it as analytical tools or would you view it as a worldview? <laughs> uh, well, I would, I would view it as a, as a good Atlanta uh, analytical tool as the theory of evolution. So I don't believe mm. any of the theory of evolution so I don't think it would be a yeah. good analytical tool yeah. uh, because it makes the assumption it is a worldview that everything's based on race and that's a false mm -hmm. premise. Amen. Well, yeah, I just, yeah, that's uh, what, it, what it comes down to. Yeah. So that sort of answers in a way the, the Enneagram and, and all the other stuff. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful position to have because it's true. Um, and you know, that's just, uh, it's one of those things that I can definitely go into the convention. Um, if people know that that's where you stand, that you do see it, that it, it that it is a analytical tool of a worldview. And so you can't really separate those. That's so, you know, that's, that definitely puts my mind at ease, um, compared to a lot of other people, that really aren't willing to make that statement. And so I'm, I appreciate you coming out and making that just because that's a clear, concise statement. It shouldn't be vilified or anything, but that's a position um, that you have. And that's, I, I thank you. I just want to say thank you for that. Cause there's a, whenever it comes to this politics stuff um, as a lay person myself, I don't even like that, that distinction per se, but uh, you know, just coming from me, um, pew, pew guy in my church. I mean, I serve it and whatnot, and I'm a leadership person, but I'm not in that sort of lay clergy gap. Um, but I really like it when people will just say their position and I, you know, even if I disagree, um, at least I know where they stand and we can actually talk instead of just kind of having jello, um, trying to nail jello to a wall, as we always say on our podcast, but yeah, appreciate you taking, taking that, um, and then I also know um, we do have, uh, you know, sort of another issue um, in Southern Baptist life. Um, and, you know, we could be a part of the problem. I don't know <laughs> as we as we do it. But uh, we do have this uh, the, the divide um, between, uh, say, pro-life and abolition. And so, um, you know, to get to the question that we have on here, just another um, thing that I think we can speak to um, is uh, we recently saw um things happen with uh, HB 813 in Louisiana and um, where there is, where there is a fight between uh, complete abolition, immediatism, as far as repenting and uh, pushing as a church with one prophetic voice to say, we need to end the scourge of abortion in America. And then you have those incrementalists. Um, how would you um, deal with uh, that sort of divide that we do have in the SBC life? Well, so um appreciate the question and you did allow me to prepare for that by the way i just like to say in the previous question i teach culture and worldview mm. and so um there are many worldviews out there that are not correct we can learn from them but uh we have to acknowledge the ones that are true and the ones that are false so mm. i appreciate Amen. what you said so uh we were moving from kansas city to oceanside last june 
So uh, one thing I learned is that when you retire, nobody pays for you to move. So <laughs> uh, unlike a Midwestern, IMB, my churches, they all paid for me to move. But when I came to retire, I had to move myself. So I drove the U-Haul and could not attend the SBC last year, but I did watch a good bit of it live. I didn't watch all of it but as much as I could. So it seems there were two resolutions on abortion last year. And both passed. So it seemed the messengers themselves might have been a little confused. Uh, it did show, however, that almost all Southern Baptists, I would say just maybe a tiny fraction who probably shouldn't be Southern Baptists, uh, are against abortion. So the issue is, is how best to end this practice. Um, I remember when Roe versus Wade when that decision came down, I was a U.S. Air Force officer commanding a radar crew in Alaska. And ever since 73, um, courageous people in the pro-life movement have championed opposing abortion. Uh, and they used to uh, march and picket and all this. And sometimes they were attacked for it and were called radicals for doing it. Um, some have called this incrementalism. So this approach was favored because overturning Roe versus Wade seemed, I would say, until the last three or four years, an impossible dream. But over the last few years, as a more conservative U.S. court has emerged, uh, more restrictions have been passed by legislatures, and it seemed that Roe v. Wade's days might be numbered. So... My understanding is that those who oppose the abolishing abortion resolution, that is not allowing any exceptions, even for uh, rape, incest, or life of the mother, uh, did so not because they favored abortion, but they felt like by allowing this rare, these rare exceptions or exception, that the law might have a better chance of passing a secular legislature and surviving uh, court challenges. Um, so even 30 years ago at the 1992 SBC, just to show you how far we've come, I was at that convention. The Christian Life Commission, the precursor of the ERLC, supported abortion on demand. Conservative um, Christian Life Commission, uh, CLC Chairman Joe Atchison. So what you had, you had the executive director of the of the Christian Life Commission, who was pro-abortion. But through the conservative resurgence, people, uh, uh, trustees were put on so that they elected Joe Atchison, who was a DOM in Northwest Arkansas, and a friend of mine, and he's the was the father-in-law of former NAM President Jeff Hammond. He was instrumental in firing the CLC chairman, who, by the way, the former um, Christian Life Commission chairman was a former Midwestern professor. <laughs> now we're arguing over how strong a pro-life stance should be. So let me address resolutions in particular. Resolutions are simply the stance of the messengers at a particular SBC. Resolutions state the opinion of the messengers, not necessarily the will of the messengers. I served on the 2006-2007 resolutions committees. In the 2006 um, convention, our committee proposed and the messengers adopted a resolution on abstaining from beverage alcohol. 
Nobody. I remember that. What's that? I remember that. I was in college. I remember that <laughs> well, resolution. I was one of the people. So anyway, there was a lot of discussion on that. We didn't think we were going to have all this debate, but when it debate lasted 15 minutes. Uh, so nobody since this resolution passed has demanded that all Southern Baptists follow this guideline. Even though W.A. Criswell famously said, no Baptist should have a beer in their refrigerator. So I don't see Southern Baptists inspecting our congregants' refrigerators to enforce compliance with this resolution. Now, I'm not saying that abstaining from alcohol is important as abortion, but I just want to say that that's kind of how resolutions are. And so uh, I would simply say that I'm against abortion and I don't, uh, I don't think that there should be, uh, and, and, I, and I have some skin in this game, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I have a mentally handicapped child. That's why we came back from the mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in a Missouri Baptist Children's Home group home. By the way, they're in Springfield. It's called the Branches. Mm-hmm. And, and she's 35, wonderful girl. She learned Portuguese on the mission field. But her mentally, she's seven or eight years old. I had a brother who was Down syndrome. I can speak for my wife and I and my parents who passed away. None of us would have wanted to abort a child, even if we knew everything we would be going through in raising a handicapped people, okay? Handicapped people are God's people, and they're really nicer people than the rest of us, by the way. So when it comes to the life of the mother, uh, I think the mother ought to be the one to decide that because <laughs> I asked my wife, what would you do? She said, I think I would, um, I, th- I think I would go with the baby. So Dr. Hathaway, I'm going to yeah. kind of, uh, I know that was a long answer. I no, yeah. I really, we want to hear from you, sir. And, and I'm so grateful for every second of your time. I, there's one thing I want to kind of, I just want to. I want to get your thoughts on a little bit of this. And uh, both Adam and I just, we are abolitionists. And I was one of, I helped with some of the framing of that resolution. And I was on the ground there uh, passing out things, even uh, got a question, um, got to speak with uh, Dr. Rizal asking questions about abortion. And, And I believe that it is clear Southern Baptists hate abortion. I think that that is one of our major uniting things. In a time of division, we hate abortion. I think that every, again, I loved what you said. The only people who are Southern Baptists that aren't against abortion shouldn't be Southern Baptists. I'm with Mm -hmm. you 100%. But we also believe, I think, and follow me on this, we believe that abortion is murder. Would you agree that that's a that's a clear piece for, for all of us as Southern Baptists. And I'm not trying to like set you up for an argument or anything like that. Please know that I'm not, but would you agree that as, as Southern Baptists, we, we believe abortion is murder. Yeah. And I believe the, the pro-life movement has said that uh, for so, years and years. I agree so, with that. So I think the major problem though, is that abolitionists say, if we believe abortion is murder, what we're really saying is the pre-born, they are made in the image of God. And so when we try to treat the pre-born in a way that would not 
demonstrate equal value as if they were born, we've been inconsistent. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that argument. Mm -hmm. So, and also, you know, this, I would say, like, you know, since we are talking about missions, uh, especially home missions, I mean, this this particular issue goes across the world. This is a universal statement. If we're talking about uh, image bearers, um, every, you know, it doesn't matter what color you are, um, what socioeconomic status, uh, you know, if you were born with handicaps or not, um, this is a universal statement, right? And so would you say that, um, you know, this whole abortion issue, what we need to do, and it is a missional issue? Well, it's even more than that. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a life issue. I mean, mm -hmm. I, th I think that. Uh, but yeah, we've got it. Yeah, so, so what I'm getting at is like we need to. This is something that goes into what does the IMB teach um, oh. when it comes to life and all that kind of stuff. Do we teach? Um, you know, it is murder, but then you know we have to just give it over to the world and we give it over to the women to choose and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's just kind of kind of what I wanted to get my two cents in there is this something that the that is is it a distraction in the sbc or is it something that we do really need to hit hard because it is remember the mission we've got to as if we end up changing someday to the uh, name great commission baptist over against southern baptist you know is that is this a missional issue that we need to talk about as a denomination so that we stand with one prophetic voice about this well, I, I think that um, that it is a Christian life issue. Um, it was sad that they had to change the name of the Christian Life Commission to the ERLC because sometimes I forget all the initials of the ERLC and I say it wrong. Christian Life Commission was a bit easier, uh, but they changed it because of the, the pro- uh, pro-abortion stance that the old CLC did. Um, the IMB, uh, and I'll speak to the IMB, I'm not as much uh, to name. Uh, the IMB, they, um, they do not, um, so missionaries are asked not to speak politically on issues in other countries. Hmm. We serve in countries that have a range of views on some of these issues. Now, Southern Baptist at home, we can speak to other countries and often uh, these uh, resolutions that are passed in the resolutions committee are instructing other countries on how to behave. Some of those are on human rights. Uh, I don't know if you've had one on abortion, uh, but it, there, there could have been something when we had the when China had the one one child policy and all of that, uh, which which I think is now up to two ch children. But uh, the IMB, the, the Southern Baptist Resolution Committee would speak to that. The IMB uh, historically has not. Uh, I would say it's a Christian life issue. I think that if you put everything in missions, then missions becomes nothing. Uh, and so I, I think this is a very important issue. I, I think what's great about the issue right now um, in the abortion abolition movement vis-a-vis uh, -vis perhaps the right to life um, movement, you these are very close. And so now with 
Roe versus Wade hopefully will be overturned before we meet in Anaheim. It'd be amazing. It'd be great. It would be like we could have a big party, you know. <laughs> Not at Disneyland, but we we can have a big party. <laughs> I like to hear you say that too. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Dr. Hathaway, I'm so thankful that I get to meet you. Uh, sorry that I didn't take more advantage of that in the few, in the past and come over to your office because I'd love to visit with you sometime about how I how I in my communication theory course work through communication theories almost as if they are worldviews and demonstrate how we integrate, even though we reject many of the foundations of some communication theories, how we still are able to use some of the good aspects of them in helping us be effective communicators. I'd love some time to visit with you about that after your after your president, of course, um, then I can say I'm talking to the president and we're talking about that. Um, let me end in a fun way here because I want to be good with your time. Uh, Adam and I both love our church history, and I've been so glad to hear you talk about Judson. Um, I love Judson. I actually talked about Judson this Sunday from behind the pulpit. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's great. I, I'm grateful for the heritage we have as Southern Baptists. What would, and I haven't heard anyone ask this question to you yet, give us your Mount Rushmore of Southern Baptist, and that's how we can kind of finish things up with this. Who would be yes. on Dr. Hathaway's Mount Rushmore of Southern Baptist? Well, I think there's five figures, so I love it. Isn't that right on Mount Rushmore? Four. <laughs> but you can have, but you can have a fifth. So I just chose five. Okay, so um, I, I put... William Carey on there, even though he's a um, British Baptist. But I believe that missionally that we come from that stream. Amen. And, and so William Carey rediscovered the fact that whatever view you have on soteriology, that we need to share Christ with people in the Great Commission had not been, was not fulfilled, fulfilled in the time of the apostles. And so uh, as far as being missionary Baptist, Baptists that are about the Great Commission, whether it's here or in the United States, uh, whether it's here or overseas, we come from that. And then, as you mentioned, Adnan Judson, because um, it was uh, the Judsons who landed in India without a mission body supporting them because they had become Baptist on the way over uh, by conviction. And so they, they called a Baptist and said, hey, we are now Baptist. Somebody needs to support us, even though uh, they'd been sent out by Congregationalists and didn't even know that many Baptists, but Baptists stepped up to the plate to send them. Okay. So I'm going to mention one that I'm sure very few people would mention, and that's K. Owen White. So K. Owen White uh, was the pastor of First Baptist Church Houston. It was either 62 or 63. He wrote the article, Death in the Pot, and he was speaking about Midwestern Seminary. And of course, he was referring back to you know, the days of Elijah and Elisha and uh, one of those miracles and so forth. But what he was saying is that the theological, um, it was a theological problem and, and it was death in the pot. And so I got to meet K. Owen White out here. His son was the director of missions for the L.A. Southern Baptist Association, and I, I got to meet him in retirement. And, and so uh, I looked to him as a precursor because W.A. Criswell and Adrian Rogers, who are my next two on the Mount Rushmore, 
followed him. But Kayon White was the first to try to call the convention back to biblical conservatism. And the Baptist Faith and Message 1963 was the result of what he did. I don't need to say anything about W. Crystal and Adrian Rogers, yeah. other, other than that I was ordained by Adrian Rogers, oh. and I knew him pretty well, and I preached at Bellevue once, and um, and they did our missionary newsletters back when you had missionary newsletters that were paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you, sir, for your time in this uh, afternoon. I mean, you're a busy guy, so we don't want to take you, uh, you know, take you away too long. But thank you for the time that you did give us and answering the questions that we do have. And we hope that uh, anybody listening to this Taggart podcast, you know, that we've had uh, again Tom Askell. Now we've had you, and unfortunately, we just couldn't get a hold of Bart Barbie. Didn't have enough time to get on the podcast, which is okay. Um, but at least we've had uh, the chance to get a couple of people that are going into again three weeks from now in Anaheim. Those two days where the where there is a convention and we come together to uh, learn about uh, what's going on in the IMB and, and then, and NAM and just all sorts of other sort of ministries and, and uh, entities and all that kind of stuff. We come together to talk about those, uh, pray over those. Um, we already know that there's going to probably be some heat going into it. Um, but that's every convention anyway. And, uh, but we, our hope and prayer is to, uh, stay brothers and sisters, um, on these issues and continue, like you said, the mission, uh, remember the mission, continue the mission. I, so that, you know, that's a motto that I can definitely, um, you know, hold on to and, and be preaching. Um, we need to remember what we're supposed to do at all times. Sometimes we do forget that and get distracted. Um, but we need to stay, on that mission and define that mission and go. So again, thank you so much for your time and uh, hope that everything is, uh, you know, sunny and 75 every day in Oceanside and that you get to enjoy that in your retirement. (laughs) (laughs) It almost is. (laughs) Yeah. Every, every day. So Dr. Hathaway, I want to echo that. Thank you for your time. I'm praying for you and Dr. Askell and Dr. Barber. I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I believe that we have guys who want to lead the SBC in a vision and direction that is good. And I'm grateful that all three of you believe the Bible is inerrant. (laughs) And I'm grateful that all three of you have a rich tradition and a rich history as Southern Baptist. And I'm grateful for the way you have contributed to the direction of our convention as a whole. We're going to kind of wrap things up now. And Adam will remind you once more of how we do that. And then we'll let you go and get back to your busy schedule, sir. Oh, yeah, we got to end this thing with our uh, three words because uh, we can do it all we can do. But uh, God gets the glory for every every micron of uh, every of, of all this. So, you know, it's not about us. It's not about, you know, being an SBC president or a podcast or whatever. Anyway, it's uh, God's glory. And so that's uh, what we always end up with. That's our motto at the end of it is, uh, you know, God be the glory. So I've already told you the three words. And so with that said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am David Van Dever. And we have Brad and Edward. And so we Deo. Words.